0: One, two, three. Two. But I think overall, my goal is to kind of better understand how to better communicate science to people. You know, I'm trained in in science and science writing, and I think it's incredibly important, and the peer review process is great. But I've written a couple of scientific papers that I bet uh, almost nobody's read, at least in the public, because scientific papers can be really dry and boring. So I think I would really love to learn how to better communicate with art in some way. And I've, I've told my students this, if you ever have an opportunity, in school or in life to take a class or kind of expand a hobby of like writing poetry or short stories Storytelling's great painting photography whatever that you can help communicate science to a broader audience I think I think I would love to get better at that that's a big goal of mine
1: Ellen Kendler is a postdoctoral associate in the Fisheries, Wildlife and Conservation Science Department at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. This is also where she completed her PhD in Conservation Science with a focus on wildlife ecology and management. She grew up in Idaho Falls, Idaho, fishing, hiking, skiing, and hunting. She especially enjoyed fly fishing in the South Fork of the Snake and in high mountain lakes. Now she lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, and works to promote conservation locally. Today, we talk about Ellen's research, teaching, and her involvement with Artemis. I'm Linnea Turner, and you're listening to Emerging, the official podcast of Trout Unlimited Costa's Five Rivers Program, brought to you by Sims Fishing Products. So yeah, if you just want to start us off by giving a little introduction and where you're from and what you do.
0: I'm Ellen Candler. I'm a, a postdoc at the University of Minnesota. Uh, I study hunter-provided gut piles, so things that hunters leave in the woods after they field dressed their deer. I study the scavengers that come in and eat, eat those remains. I, I really got interested in wildlife um, at a young age growing up in Idaho. Um, we did a lot of of hiking and and fishing, uh, when I was growing up, a lot of skiing in the winter, rafting in the in the summer, and all those outdoor experiences really really got me interested in in wildlife ecology, interested in in better understanding nature and then how we fit into it. Sure,
1: and then you still hunt and fish today.
0: I do, yeah. Um, I I started hunting when I was young. I wanted to because my dad did uh, I took hunter's ed. You now when I when I could started hunting. I think I. I had a white-tailed deer tag. Um, I think I was 12, I think, was the youngest age at that time in Idaho that you could hunt. And um, sighted in the gun, um, found a deer, perfect shot, and... Perfect uh, lineup, and I I could not pull the trigger. I was oh, yeah. um, started crying, um, couldn't do it. And, and to my dad's credit, he didn't push it. I didn't I didn't want to hunt. I picked up hunting again uh, when I moved to Minnesota. Actually, I took a, a learned to hunt with my husband through the DNR, um, and I I decided to start hunting again because I was really interested in in having meat that I that I had harvested myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with my dad's meat in the freezer all the time, and when I went to college and didn't have that. I was I was kind of at a loss of what to eat. Oh yeah. Um, sure. So that was really my motivation. I have fished my whole life, um, whether that be kind of worm on a hook or um, fly fishing, which is really what I, I love to do. And if if I had to pick hunting or fishing, I would. I would pick fly fishing, I think, just because it's, it's kind of more meditative. Sure, yeah. I think, yeah. What's your favorite place to fly fish? Um, I think my favorite place to fly fish is probably back home in Idaho. It's really hard to pick. I've had somebody ask me, oh, what's the best river to fly fish in Idaho?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that's, that's so hard um, because there's really beautiful, great rivers in Idaho that are really well-known. There's the Henry's Fork that's um, well-known for great trout fishing. But there's places to fish that are just gorgeous and fun. My grandparents—I uh, know my grandmother lives on the South Fork of the Snake River—so I, I love to fish there because I've fished there a lot. We used to raft the Middle Fork of the Salmon, and that was a ton of fun to fish. A lot of little steelhead. I think I think that would maybe be my favorite place, just because of all the memories around it. Um, less so because of the fish. I know I caught fish, but I can't honestly remember size or how many. I think it was sure. more the experience that <laughs> made me really enjoy fishing there. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of how it is with fly fishing,
1: especially too. Just the experience so worth.
0: Yeah. And when I'm fly fishing, I'm, I don't think I've ever fly fished and thought I need to fish to keep something. Mm-hmm. And I have. Like on the South Fork of the Snake, they want you to keep rainbows because they're invasive there. So we'll keep rainbows, but that's never its never a goal to catch and, and keep. So Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you mainly do trout fishing then? I grew up mostly trout fishing because that was what was available. My mom is from Michigan. So we would go there sometimes and fish, um, but we always did just like warm on a hook for sunfish and blue bluegill. When I moved to Minnesota, I realized just talking to other fishermen uh, and anglers that there is, you can fly fish for anything, um, which shouldn't be a revelation, but it was to me. So the a couple of summers ago, I went fly fishing just for bluegill and sunfish, just on a little lake up here in Minnesota. Uh, and it was so much fun. Fishing for trout is kind of a challenge, you know? Oh, yeah. It's you got to like read the water and you've got to know what you're going to use and they're a little more skittish. And that's the fun and that's the challenge. But fishing for bluegill, like you didn't have to, you could splash around in the water and you just, it was like every other cast you caught something. So it was like a different kind of fun. And my thought was, well, this would be, this is what you teach kids to fly fish on because it's like high success. They're just fun. You can see the fish while you're fishing for them too, most of the time. So so that's kind of fun. I've done some bass fishing unsuccessfully, but I've watched my husband catch bass. And that's different too because you don't have to be as quiet and like do the perfect presentation. You just kind of like flop something in the water and bass are like, oh, I want it. <laughs> so that's fun, too. Plus, they, they fight. So I I've mostly fished for trout, but I'm kind of trying to expand.
1: Okay. Yeah, that sounds fun. I've never done it myself, so I definitely want to try it.
0: What have you used for, like, lures? For the bluegill, we just used like, dragonflies or, like, big blue, like, water spider-type things. For the bass, we use, like, a clouser minnow and heavy. For the trout, I I kind of use whatever <laughs> whatever's in my box. Mm-hmm. Whatever I try. I've fished forever, but I would never tell somebody that I'm, like, an expert when it comes to, like, picking the right, like matching the hatch is not, Mm -hmm. um, my expertise. I try and I think about it, but I'm sometimes a little impatient when it comes to, to fishing and I'll just like pick something like this looks like something I would eat if I was a fish. right? Yeah. Um, sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't, but yeah. Yeah. Do you tie your own flies at all? I do. I'm not great at that either, (laughs) (laughs) but I really enjoy doing that. I like to kind of pick one, and and kind of try to try to master that or pick kind of a technique so yeah I I try to pick a fly that might be relevant at the time and and try to do it so here in Minnesota um the pink squirrel which okay um I think it was I don't know if it was like developed here invented here i don't know what it's supposed to mimic but i've tried tying that i've had a little bit of success but i've gone with people that um and fished with people that will look at my box and say oh yeah those are nice but here i have one that has you know like a copperhead maybe this one would work better for Mm -hmm. you (laughs) just a very nice way of just saying hey those look a little floppy try this one sure Uh, yeah i enjoy it so that's all that matters
1: so you're really into fishing but then you chose like a different kind of queer route why is that
0: yeah um, what really got me into wildlife specifically, I grew up in Idaho kind of during the reintroduction of wolves. So wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone in central Idaho in nineteen ninety five. So I was about five years old. So I grew up with the controversy of ranchers and hunters and the public um, really not accepting wolves or really wanting wolves and how that reintroduction occurred and where it's where it's gone since then. And that's what really got me interested in wildlife and particularly human dimensions in wildlife, so how humans interact with wildlife and people's perspectives and beliefs and values and how that impacts wildlife species Um, and then how wildlife impact us. Um, So that's really what got me into wildlife. There are aspects of fish that interest me, but the way that wildlife education that I went into happened, it was there wasn't really an opportunity to overlap, and I think I'm kind of sad about that. I took a fish biology class; it wasn't an ichthyology class um, as an undergrad, but that was my only only introduction to fish um, in the wildlife field, which was kind of a bummer because there is so much research and so much opportunity for overlap when it comes to to fish and wildlife. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. My research interest now is gut piles, so, you know, a dead thing on the landscape and scavengers using it. There's research that looks at spawning salmon and their carcasses once they come up the river and then, you know, bears and other things that feed on those and bring those nutrients up um, in the terrestrial landscape. So there's direct overlap Mm -hmm, (laughs) with a wildlife and a fish species. But I think it's I think it's a shame that a lot of times and I'm not saying this is true everywhere. But but where I had my education, there wasn't a lot of overlap. And really in the professional organizations, there's not much either. There's the Wildlife Society and then there's the American Fisheries Society. Mm AFS, And there's not a ton of overlap. A few years ago, there was a joint conference, which was super fun. But usually they're separate, which is kind of a shame.
1: Right. Yeah. When you're like in school, you kind of have to choose one or the other because there's yeah. not a job that kind of uses both. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And it's it's weird because I'm like, well, birds and wildlife. I mean, like if you're just separating it by where things live and, and they're so different. I mean, fish and wildlife. I mean, even just the physics of how they interact with with each other or, you know, with their environment is different. <laughs> but I don't know, just an introduction to it, a little better introduction would be
1: awesome, I think.
0: And then actually, but
1: now that you mentioned it, we, but would you mind talking about a little bit of your other field experience before you started teaching? Yeah.
0: So I did my undergrad uh, at Michigan Tech University in the UP Michigan, which is an amazing place to go to school. And I love tech. And then after school, I did a lot of field work even during school in the summers. There's a lot of field work back in Idaho where I grew up in the sagebrush steppe so it was a lot of vegetation work though so not directly didn't seem directly wildlife related it's you know habitat so it's related to wildlife mm-hmm. um, and then I did some work after school on red fox in the Beartooth Mountains um, so a native red fox um, doing some trapping with a, a master student um, Patrick Cross out there at the time he was a master student I've done we, I went to Um, California so Southern California um, and worked for the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area which is a National Park Service area and that was it was so fun but such like an odd place to work in wildlife because it's LA so you like are in your dirty t-shirt and jeans or whatever khaki like with the telemetry equipment driving around like gated communities of la suburbs (laughs) people like think you should have yeah people think you should have like a tinfoil hat on like what are you doing (laughs) i had the cops called on me a couple times when we were doing night telemetry oh really yeah the cop (laughs) pulled me always said somebody called that they saw a truck um stopping periodically and shining a light and then driving a little bit (laughs) and then stopping and shining light i'm like yep that's exactly what i was doing i was had a telemetry and i'd shine my light to see my compass and yep that's yep that's what it was (laughs) and yeah so it was surreal it was fun we followed bobcats mostly but also cougars p22 is the la cougar the hollywood cougar um that actually recently died had to be euthanized he's old but still a sad situation um he moved from the Santa monica mountains to the hollywood hills and kind of Took up residence there was kind of this this celebrity celebrity cougar. Um, I got to go once when they retrapped him to to recollar him. That was super fun um, and really interesting. But then I also worked in Yellowstone, which was a whole different situation because it's so wild instead mm, of you know LA. And there I worked on the the wolf project and the cougar project there as well. So tracking cougars, collecting DNA samples, going to wolf kill sites and determining what happened there was really super fun yeah do you have like
1: a favorite species to
0: um wolves are my favorite animal <laughs> I have to pick an animal mm-hmm. um I don't know if I would say they're my favorite to research I think um, there are so many people researching wolves and there's so much still to learn from wolves but I think I don't have necessarily a favorite species to research right now scavengers are kind of my favorite species or group not a species but group of, of individuals and i like it because that you know they meet all at this one resource a lot of times and so there's a lot of interaction between different species and i think that's what really interests me about scavenging and then how that scavenging behavior impacts the rest of their their lives as they they go on so and then
1: with your re you're using
0: like camera traps yep so for my research in minnesota um we're asking hunters to put cameras either their own or we have some to to lend out put them on the gut piles after they field dress a deer then leave them for a month and then send them back or send us the pictures so we can look at those yep and that's statewide so trying to see scavenger diversity across the state okay
1: yeah that's interesting and then what courses do you teach at the university
0: yeah right now um starting next week i'm gonna start teaching um, human dimensions of wildlife, um, fisheries and wildlife. So we'll have some a little bit of fisheries probably in there. I have Thank to you. get some other people that may be more experts um, in that. Uh, so that class focuses on um, the human, uh, the human dimension of wildlife. So uh, laws, governance, um, people's values, uh, surveys. So how we develop surveys to better understand the public. Really, kind of the for failure, failure for a better word, the ownership of wildlife and who owns wildlife, put it that way, and then how it's managed, particularly in the U.S., and then hopefully get a few more perspectives from outside of the U.S. as well.
1: Sounds super interesting. Do you design your own coursework, or is there kind of like requirements you have to...
0: Yeah, there's there are requirements. There's, you know, an overall, this is the description of the course. But for the most part, I can design um, a lot of it. So I, I kind of took ownership of this class um, last spring and, and redesigned it. Um, there's a lot of basics that you need to, to, to go through. So what is governance? How does it work to benefit wildlife? Things like that. Um, what are the basics of human dimensions? What is the public trust doctrine? Really important basics. Um, but then we kind of go into like what are students interested in? I think most, and this was true of me in wildlife most people going into wildlife, I think, don't go in because they want to deal with people, kind of like right. the opposite, right. you know, like to yeah. deal with wildlife, um, which is great. But a lot of times in wildlife management, you're just you're dealing with people mm-hmm. and you have to understand people to effectively manage wildlife. Um, so I try to understand what students actually are interested in, because a lot of them take the class because they have to. Um, and maybe aren't necessarily interested. So trying to understand what their goals are and then try to format kind of the end of the course to what they might be interested in to make it a little more relevant. Okay, yeah, that sounds
1: approach. Is this kind of like an upper level class or is it like one that like they absolutely have to take like freshman, sophomore year? It's it's
0: like a junior, senior level class. Okay. Um, I, I think they have to have like a human dimensions class. I don't know if there's like a list of classes they can pick from, but I know this is one that does cover a... Um, requirement.
1: Okay, and I'm assuming you have mainly like biology, environmental science type majors in there.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're mostly yeah fisheries, wildlife majors, most of them. Some pre vet. I've had a couple pre vet. Okay what's been your favorite parts of teaching um i think talking to students one-on-one i like better i also this fall taught a um freshman sophomore level introduction to fisheries wildlife and conservation biology that was a really large class i didn't like that as much because i didn't get to learn a lot of their names Mm -hmm. that that well Mm -hmm. you know it's hard to learn that many many names and really know the students um so i think i think getting to know students one-on-one when they come for um is really is really what interests me and and trying to motivate them and and get them and kind of put them on a path that might might help them get where they want to be. Yeah, and then
1: what's kind of one of the hardest things about teaching?
0: <laughs> you can't make everyone happy. Um, I want to pass everybody and um, give everyone good grade. It's but you know if you can't do the work or if you don't do the work, um, you can't do that.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Um, and and people ha- people struggle. People are having a hard time right now and have had a hard time. You know, with with mental health issues, and I can totally um, relate and totally understand that. But trying to navigate um as an instructor uh how to help students with that Mm -hmm. um and how to be kind of flexible with that um especially because I'm not a mental health expert so trying to to help students get help or um, work them through things that's 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 the hardest part I think and grading is not fun
1: oh yeah yeah (laughs) I was like a grader for physics last semester and it was not fun I mean at least like as a teacher or even like a teaching assistant you have like the interaction with the students but as just like a straight yeah. grader you're just looking at papers and it's <laughs> quite boring. Yeah yeah yeah. Do you have TAs too I'm assuming?
0: I have one last semester um yeah she was really great um and that was super helpful. I will not this semester though so oh, okay. it'll be on me yeah. fine. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> and then you're a relatively new teacher too right? Yeah yeah so I I did TA in grad school a little bit um which was mostly grading did some guest lectures on camera trapping um and human dimensions type stuff but yeah i laughed it was my first time teaching um so that was that was kind of a throwy into the deep end it was also virtual which i did also did not like oh, yeah, um, that's hard. because yeah students kept their their cameras off which i understand i mean i i think i would as a student mm. you, you know like sit in your bedroom you don't know, want your instructor like being to sit on your bed or whatever i totally get that right. but it was hard and hard to have an interaction So I'm really looking forward to having an in-person class this semester.
1: What's one of, like, the biggest things you've learned since, like, you started teaching to like,
0: now? That's a good question. I think just trying to be a little more flexible and understand what people are going through, um, but also to not be a pushover. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of (laughs) hard, I think, because I just... You just, like, want people to like you, and there's people that aren't going to like you, and that's okay right. um, because of your decisions you make as an instructor. So trying to, to make something fair. So I think that's the hardest lesson I've learned is is that it, it's hard to be fair mm-hmm. because you want just to, like, give everybody good grades. Right, um, yeah. But that's not possible. So
1: yeah, I can yeah. imagine it can be hard to kind of find that balance of, like, pushing people to, like uh, – like a reachable limit them enjoy the push and the struggle but not many people want to you know be pushed that hard yeah
0: or you know like i read or like write a syllabus or write write an assignment and i think it's really clear because i wrote it and i know what i'm saying Mm But maybe it wasn't as clear as I thought. So trying to like, oh, you know, admit to students, you know, I'm a person and I make a mistake and I understand that this wasn't very clear. So, you know, here, I'll give you a little leeway on this. That's, you know, another lesson you got to, I think, admit. And I think it's important. I think some students don't like when when professors or instructors show some flaws that way, Mm -hmm. because you're supposed to be the experts on everything that you're teaching. But I think it's also really important, especially in the science field to say, oh, yeah, I messed up. I was wrong. I, I admit that. And we're going to fix it and move forward. I think that's what science is, right, is I learned, I did something, learned that it was wrong or learned that it was right. And then I, I went another way to try to better understand it, so right yeah exactly good-
1: i see your join. your dog joined us here <laughs> what's, what's your dog's yeah, name? yeah
0: yeah this is raleigh everyone here this is delaney <laughs> i'm usually not home so they're right now nice. <laughs> what kind of dogs are they raleigh's like a border collie Aussie, mini ozzy mix of some kind and delaney's another much she's like husky lap chow cattle dog i think oh, and wow. a bunch of other stuff <laughs>
1: hmm, that's fun <laughs> yeah yeah
0: they're- but they're not like hunting dogs or anything they're not no raleigh does not like gunshots. um he would be probably a good bird dog, um, except for the gun issue, which sure. was kind of a deal breaker. <laughs> and Delaney doesn't mind gunshots, but she's scared of everything else, so... Oh, that's hard. Not, not good. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. They're good fishing dogs, though, because they don't really like the water that much, so they won't get into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're also a part of Artemis. How did you get involved with that? Yeah. Um, Artemis Sportswoman um, kind of found it, I think probably like Instagram or something, found it a couple years ago, a few years ago uh, and started following it. And then I think in 2020 they started the ambassador program. I think it was like right when the pandemic hit. Unfortunately, um, so that's a, a program where volunteers around different states, you know, set up events um, to encourage women to get into hunting or angling and be active in conservation issues. Um, so I applied to be an ambassador. So been an ambassador for maybe almost a year now in Minnesota. Um, starting to get my feet wet, trying to, to plan some events, hopefully some fishing events. Um, I have a ton of ideas. I need to just like put them down on paper and get them going. If anybody ever wants to do anything in Minnesota or, or any other state, I think I think every state has an ambassador. Don't quote me on that, but I think um, most do. Reach out. Reach out to me. There's a couple other ambassadors in the state as well. Uh, if you're interested in learning uh, fishing or hunting or conservation technique or getting in touch with legislators anything like that, we don't have to be experts on it. So like like upland game hunting, I um, haven't done that in years, but I would love to. And so if anyone else is ever interested in that, we can try to set Something up. I don't have to be an expert on it. Have
1: you done any Artemis events that you haven't organized?
0: I haven't. Um, the uh, Minnesota ambassadors are pretty new. So, and because they uh, started during the pandemic, it had a really slow start that so we oh, can sure. do in person events. We've done a couple, Let you know, had a table at a backcountry hunters and anglers pint night kind of introducing artemis um we're going to have like a coffee hour chat event at a backcountry hunters and anglers winter event here in a couple weeks called the um, north country icebreaker if you're interested look it up it's going to be an awesome event um but i'm also looking to do i think uh, an ice fishing event here in in the twin cities just in the cities you don't have to travel it'll just be a cities kind of nighttime ice fishing event i'd love to do like a women's fly tying event too I'm, mm going to try to reach out to a couple places here and see if we can do a tie night Um, and then maybe a fly fishing event too
1: yeah that'd be awesome and i wonder if you could even like partner with a tu chapter down there too for some of the trout stuff yeah
0: yeah that's a great idea i think i think that would be really excellent they definitely have expertise and and things that they could do have to, to help us out and then how do people learn more about like what artemis is doing in their area yeah so artemis their website has a calendar Um, that has events on it. So if you look up Artemis Sportswoman, if you just Google Artemis Sportswoman, um, it'll get you to the website. uh, And there's a new calendar that... Will display events um, as they as they come up. They're they also have a really good social media presence. So Instagram is a great place to see when events are coming. If you follow Artemis Sportswomen, you can see different events. Um, there are events too that are not specific to states necessarily. So virtual events. Mm-hmm. They do happy hours once, at least once a month, and get in and chat. And those are those are kind of fun. So um, if there's nothing. Physically going on in your state, you can definitely check out the the virtual events as well.
1: Yeah. And then, as we kind of wrap up here, what is your advice to new anglers or college students learning to wanting to learn more about conservation?
0: I think just, you don't have to be an expert. I think my biggest struggle as a scientist and as a woman and as a conservationist is just, you got to just do it and ask questions. You you go out with somebody that, you know, has like the perfect setup, um, has this like beautiful box of flies all organized by like water type and season and everything that's gorgeous. And it's really intimidating oh, yeah. <laughs> when I have like a fly box that's like has this fly that I tied when I was five that's like purple and and green and it's like never going to catch anything mixed in with some other ones so admitting that you're like not an expert or admitting when you have a question even if you are an expert and I think that goes for anything in science or anything in fishing or hunting just ask ask questions if somebody like gives you a flack about not knowing then you know I don't know it's not worth it (laughs) right yeah sure have fun. It's it's supposed to be relaxing. It's supposed to be fun. So ask questions and learn and just be able to admit when you when you need some help. Great.
1: What's something that you want to learn more about in like the conservation field? That's kind of a big question, but <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean my immediate goals are, you know, to get more experience with like GIS and, and more statistical methods and that's kind of the, you know, academic answer that would be see how I like add more tools to my toolbox but I think overall my goal is to kind of better understand how to better communicate science to people you know I'm trained in, in science and science writing and I think it's incredibly important and the peer review process is great but I've written a couple of scientific papers that I bet uh, almost nobody's read yeah, <laughs> sure. at least like in the, in the um, public because scientific papers can be really dry and boring so I think I would really love to learn how to better communicate with art in some way and I've I've told my students this if you ever have an opportunity in school or in life to take a class or kind of expand a hobby of like writing poetry or short stories storytelling is great painting photography whatever that you can help communicate science to a broader audience I think I think I would love to get better at that that's a big goal of mine.
1: Yeah that's awesome because there's definitely a huge need for that and it's really important for the science. Well, it's been great talking to you, Ellen. It's been fun to hear about your research and teaching and involvement with Artemis. Yes, thank you so much. Check out the links in the description to learn more about the organizations Ellen is involved in and find your local chapter. This season is hosted and edited by me, Lenaya Turner. The music is made by the Wright Brothers. If you have any questions, feel free to send them to 5rivers at tu.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show.